Thank you, Tim. <clears throat> so we talk a lot about finding your lane and staying in your lane. Y'all know something about that? So Tim, praise God for your lane, brother. <laughs> I know that's not my lane. I'm going to read it, though, and I'll meditate on it. <laughs> praise God. Let's do continue. Let's just do that now. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for Tim Miller. We thank you, God, for the good labor, the good labor in the gospel, that the word of the Lord would become clear in areas where there seems to be a lack of understanding. And Father, we thank you for the word coming forth through him to help give clarity to this glorious, beautiful gospel. And so grace to our brother and his family and all that's needed, God, to continue to complete this process. We're thankful. Father, help us as a, as a company here to remember him in the place of prayer in regards to this tremendous project. We give thanks in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. I'm so thankful to be here. Um, the... The um, last couple of days, in particular yesterday, I really felt as though, uh, as you guys know, there was a plumb line in our midst, and the plumb line was the cross yesterday. And it's so good to be in a place where your heart is brought under the plumb line. You guys know what a plumb line is. It's to make sure the walls are erect from a, a, a carpenter. And so we want, we want to make sure our hearts are in alignment with the plumb of God and the cross being that central element, as we heard yesterday. So I'm so grateful uh, to, to receive that. We're in, uh, I think, page, um, in, in the notes, uh, page 18, it looks like. So I want to talk a little bit about the grain bin. Uh, when I first he heard Tim uh, few years ago talking about the grain bin that DTN indeed's a, a grain bin for people to come and to eat. Uh, Richie, one of my great concerns is I don't put any leaven in the grain bin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, but I, I understand and I, want, I just want to give thanks for the grain bin at DTN that there are theological resources, practical resources. So, you know, our theology informs our practice now here's the problem that can be good bad or ugly okay it, it, depending on where our theology so i'm going to share this morning about my own journey as to uh when your theology is uh leaning against the wrong wall our ministries will get plumbed in that same vein and we might find ourselves uh for me Climbing a ladder of theology and ministry for 25 years, and you get to the top and realize your ladder is against the wrong wall. That is hard. Then you have to begin with adjustments and changes in your own heart and soul, and it affects uh, finances and it affects insurance, and you know, these kinds of things for your family and. How are we going to go forward here, Lord? And lots of sober days, as many of you know. I want to also say not only theological, but practically, but 
but uh, also technical in terms of the grain bin. So, Richie, man, I think Caleb said the other night, DTN's probably 99% outside of community. It, it is its resource, you know. And so, man, what you do, brother, thank you. And uh, continue to pray for Richie Parks. And Because how many days have I been on my elliptical with my with my uh, phone and earbuds, you know, and listening to DTN, sweating to death on my elliptical and just getting it and getting it and listening to Jeremy Johnson talk about the cross, listening to many of these guys, you know, and eating from the grain bin that will fill my soul with something that's pure and good and holy and right. You know, it's so good. So I, I just appreciate the grain bin at DTN, uh, not only the contributions that have gone in, but the fact that we all can eat from that grain bin on a regular, ongoing basis and be able to withdraw. And what's happened for me over the last five years is God has brought a sense of clarity, confidence, and courage in the biblical gospel. See, when clarity comes, it, it begins to put a confidence in your heart in that gospel, and then you have the courage to walk that thing out in everyday life. But I think there's an order there. We need clarity. We need to eat from the grain bin. And I'm not trying to exalt DTN, but what I am exalting is the gospel that's sitting in that grain bin that we can draw from, the truth of God. That's what we're after. We're fighting for truth. We're fighting for clarity, confidence, and courage in the biblical gospel. And I want to go eat from wherever I can find that from. And sometimes what the problem is, this book, Many Days, is a puzzle, right? Many days, this book is a puzzle for us. Many days, uh, the, the, the scriptures, like life, you know, I'm like, God, give, give me the big picture. Uh, give me the four corners, Lord, because all I see is a bunch of pieces, and you begin to go to this grain bin, and you begin to see, oh my goodness, there's a storyline from beginning to end. And it's, man, I'm starting to really see the clarity of this thing. And then it begins to put a confidence in your spirit, in your own journey with God. And then you have the courage to walk in that and give it away to someone and to see it at work in the lives of those who are helping fuel the grain bin. You know, that's a blessing. To be around men that I know are walking this thing out, it's a blessing to see that, you know, for my own life. So uh, I want to just say there are two things required. Well, I may not get past the grain bin this morning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there are two things required here. Uh, one is humility. And the second is hunger. And I really find that the cross is, is helping us be a people who go low and humble ourselves before God. The cross is that way of humility and lowliness and weakness before God. The other is that the cross is coming as Hans so eloquently taught on yesterday. Helping us to deal with the indulgences of the flesh and and crucifying the flesh in a way that I'm pushing away 
appetites and those things that keep me from deep hunger for God. So we need humility and hunger at work in the heart that we can actually embrace the truth. Because I want to tell you, when you come into some of the things that we've been discussing this weekend, and you begin to eat from this grain bin, or many things we get confronted with, if I don't carry humility, I will move in pride and arrogance and actually be find, find myself resisting God. He's trying to bring me into truth and freedom, and I'm resisting the truth because of traditions, because of uh, baggage from my past. Many things that God will confront. He's trying to confront in us. God give us a humility and a hunger to go low and to go deep in you. We need humility and hunger. Give it to us, Lord. Let us grow. I, I'm going to move to, to my personal journey and share a little bit about that this morning. And uh, usually I would just uh, I would come up and, and be preaching the scriptures but uh i I don't know it's just you got to do what you sense the lord telling you to do right and so mine just happened to fall in sharing my journey i hope that you hear through my journey i'm not trying to exalt my journey i'm trying to show my journey as to the journey that's been against the wrong wall for 25 years and i get to the top and realize I remember when David Rickman and I began to come into some of these teachings in 2011. And, and, and I would stop. I don't know how many times I asked David. If that's true, I would do like, what are the ramifications? If that's true. And if I believe that, what are the ramifications for my life? Not just my life, but my family. Uh, it's like, and, and this is the way that it is. I, I, now I, I began to move from being a, a, a big fish in a little pond to a, a little fish in a big pond. Because now I'm getting into God's story instead of trying to get God into my story. You see, it's so easy to do that. Because when we see the biblical gospel, we begin to see the story God is telling, and it really ain't so much about me. It's about Him and what He's doing. And it confronts us in Western Christianity that this is actually a Middle Eastern book, right? I'm trying to find America in it. And I'm trying to find me in it, you know. And it's like, no, son. Step back and submit yourself to me and what I'm doing. This is my story. It's my pond. And you're a little fish. Oh, it takes humility, right? It takes humility. So let's talk a little bit about the journey. Uh, a encountered by God uh, I, so I, I came into a time of uh, salvation of understanding my my depravity at, a, at, at about uh, I think I was 16 years old and uh, and then two years later I rededicated my, my life to the Lord and never turned back so that was the time I just graduated high school and uh, dedicated, rededicated my life to the Lord, and the Lord really came to me in some profound ways. I was into uh, a lot of deep darkness in the whole culture, as many of you may have come out of, uh, just a life of drugs and alcohol and that whole revolution that's surrounding that. Unfortunately, 
because of deep insecurities in my own life, I, I found myself, when I would go and share the gospel, I was more in link with what I had come out of rather than be actually preaching the gospel. So I would be heavy on my drug story and my darkness, and then I'd throw in a little gospel. It's because I didn't know the gospel, you know. I did know the gospel, and so that's part of the journey. And, and this is part of the reason why we need to fight for confid, uh, clarity, confidence, and courage in the biblical gospel, okay? So within two years, I was sitting in Bible college. I don't understand that. I, I tell the story. I, I graduated high school with a 1.8 grade point average. I uh, made an E on every report card I ever had, uh, every report card, and uh, never read a book until I got to Bible college. It would take me three hours to finish one assignment, and I would start reading like this. I graduated from the finger, and I got me a three-by-five card. And I started reading this way, and I was like, whoa, I'm picking up a little bit here. And I got off of academic probation and uh, did, did fairly well in Bible college, but I was a hungry man. I was hungry, and uh, so God began to feed me. But I came out of Bible college with a hodgepodge of theological views and a foggy gospel like a puzzle with missing corners and no box to see the big picture. So everything's peace. There's a peace here and a peace there and a peace here and a peace there. But I, I'm like, but, ah. you know, I just don't, I don't see the big picture. I don't understand it. And you think you would do that after leaving four years. Probably that's not an indictment on the Bible college. It's probably a lot more about me and my own uh, educational background I'm sure after uh, during Bible college and coming out of Bible college um, I, I become a youth pastor for uh, probably 15 years or so and I began to be very busy with tons of activities the pursuit of these three that came to me in the last few years as I understood them I call them ministry models and movements and I began to understand that in the pursuit of ministry models and movements are going to bring about the change. And, and surely the right ministry model and movements are going to be the keys to revival and awakening and, you know, bring about change in our students in the region in which God's called me to serve. And many students walk away with a mixture of good activities, disconnected truths, but no solid foundation to stand upon in the face of college liberalism or cultural relativism. And that's a sad day for me that I gave them pieces and I was doing what I knew to do. You know, you look back, I don't live with a sense of regret over that. You, you're doing what you believe to do, but then you realize obviously without having clarity in the biblical gospel, it becomes implausible to lead others to have confidence and courage in that themselves. You know, so, so what... Probably, if you take one thing away from what I want to share my heart with you about this morning is that we would be a people who get clarity in the biblical gospel. The importance of that. Because if not, then what are we giving away? I don't want to be a missionary, which I am, and, and preaching the wrong gospel. Then I'm going to send people up a 25-year ladder that's leaning against the wrong wall themselves. Oh, God, help us bring people into the truth. All right. So 
D, father wound. Wow. So, been theological education, ministry for a few years, and then God, like, sits me down in my tracks. I mean, just like, and I was in an adult weekend with a group from our church. It was a huge ministry called Making Peace with Your Past that had begun there, and I'm very thankful for that. God really used it in my life. God cut me open uh, on, a, on a Thursday night, or maybe the Friday night. I can't remember. We were there for three days. And uh, God came, and he cut my heart. And he, I was 26 years old and had no idea that I had. I knew something was going on inside of me, but I couldn't quite understand it. But I had this deep father wound. So my daddy is an, a workaholic by day, and he's an alcoholic by night, seven days a week. My brother and I would uh, get home from church if we went to church with my mom. See, one of the beauties for me in the same house was to see, like, uh, light emanating out of my daddy, my mom and darkness emanating out of my daddy. God gave me a picture of darkness and light in my own home all those years. And I was actually able to see the gospel in my mama when my daddy would treat my mama in bad ways. And my brother and I would go out and we would pick my daddy up out of the, uh, he would come in on, in his 1976 Buick Skylark. He'd open the door and fall in the ditch Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we would go out and we'd put him, uh, put his arms under us and we'd walk him in the house. And Sundays were the day he'd come in and sleep and sober up and you know, you just go through that all your life, and, and my daddy was just very silent, absent, and passive in my life. And so I'm sitting here at this, conf- this, this weekend, about 12 or 15 people, and I get cut open that Thursday night. And I'm telling you something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the prayer. I'm, I'm going to give you the cry, okay? I'm going to give you the cry because that is so real to me. But I want, I want to ask, what do you hear when you hear this, okay? <laughs> What do you hear? It was a little boy full of fear. And I found that the pursuit of theology and ministry became a place for me to find myself. But I was actually trying to find some sense to solve the dilemma in my soul. Fear and shame and pain, brokenness. And God met me. God met me in that weekend. And began a journey of now 25 years, and it's always there, you know. Uh, Just a little update. My daddy... Uh, in the last, my daddy died in February this year. The last year of his life, he turned to me. He said, "Son, I want you." And he, <laughs> he starts crying. He said, 
this is before he kind of like hit dementia and physical problems the last year of his life. He said, son, he, it's like God gave him the wisdom to, to do this. Have an older brother and a younger brother, and they're into their own things, okay? But he looked at me. And this is after 30 years of trying to love and serve my daddy and bless him and give to him. That began in forgiveness that night, okay, that I sat there and was cut open. And I forgave my daddy. It took a while now. It took a while. But I forgave him. And then I began to love him. And I began to serve him. And he saw the gospel. I know this. He saw the gospel. And, and I would pick up 20 bales of pine needles. And I would bring them to the house. And he'd come walking across the yard and try to hand me a $100 bill. I'd say, no, Dad, I love you. I just want to bless you, Daddy. Just want to bless you, Daddy. When we forgive, we can love. When we forgive, we can serve. And we can be a witness of the gospel to those around us. Before forgiveness, I was so into myself. I couldn't, I couldn't release love. I couldn't release a, a way to serve Him rightly. Forgiveness began the deal. But God had to cut me open. And I wept like a baby and wept like a baby over the years. I never forget, I asked the lady, I said, do you think these tears will ever go away? She says, well, when you squeeze the toothpaste, can you get it back in? And it was like, no. So God opened me up and he really began to give me tears for probably the first time in my life. I began to get tears. Tears mean it matters and it hurts. And it broke, and I'm in pain. God, tears are good. Tears are healthy. And so the last year of my daddy's life, um, he, he said, Son, I want you to, I love you. I love you, son. My daddy told me five times, maybe, on one hand. He told me he loved me in my life five times. And he said, Son, I love you. And he's crying. I'm like, this is not my daddy. What's going on? God's humbling my daddy. Hallelujah. 30 years of prayer and 50 for my mother. 30 years of prayer for me, 50 for my mama. And God visits my daddy in the last year of his life and humbles him. And he, he, he says, son, I, I need you to take over my estate, my affairs. and you know, My daddy would take me into the bedroom, make sure my other brothers wasn't coming right he shut the door and his eyesight had gotten so bad he couldn't see and he said okay son he'd sit on the bed he said okay 78 to the right 32 to the left and he let me open his safe he let me open the precious things in his life which was money because i had built some level of trust with him by loving him and serving him forgiving him and it opened his heart to receive the gospel. I would begin, the last few months of my daddy's life, I would be praying. And I'd say, can I pray for you? Yes, son. I'd pray and I'd pray. He'd finish the prayer, Tim. He would finish the prayer, man. I'm like, this is too much for me. And I'd, I'd start praying again. He'd interrupt. i said, go on, daddy, pray. I, maybe I just need to share that with you today. I just, maybe I just, that was more for me, maybe. I don't know. Praise God. I'm so thankful I, I will see my daddy. I believe I will see my daddy. <sighs> Called to Romania 
So, 97, very clear and specific call to Romania. I step in faith and began the journey of training pastors and youth pastors, leading youth camps, conferences, teaching the Word of God, ministering spiritual gifts, healing, prophecy, and much of what you guys know, of course, in your own life. I watch many Romanians temporarily set free of various issues, but not staying free and coming into maturity. Here's what I began to see. I would go over. I went to Romania uh, about 15 years, twice a year. And I would go in the winter, and we would train and minister, and we'd go back in the summer and run youth camps. And those youth camps were phenomenal. We, we would preach and teach and minister and lay hands on the sick and deal with devils. I mean, just all kinds of things and prophesy. I mean, just really powerful times. In the midst of that, we would see many literally get set free. And they're just like, wow. You know, I'd go back six months later. Where's Anka? Where's Jan? Where's, well, I haven't seen him in a while. And I began to learn that there's a great distinction between being set free and learning how to stay free. And here's the crux. I did not root them in the biblical gospel. That's how you stay free. When we have clarity, confidence, and courage in the biblical gospel. Planting churches from Burlington, North Carolina to Romania, began to raise up a few churches, be involved in the, the context of those, as well as houses of prayer. Uh, the thing that began to burn in me was uh, this word and power ministry. A guy named Doug Bannister out of Tennessee um, he had a book called The Word and Power Church. And a couple couple of other pastors, uh, vineyard pastors, had a couple books called Empowered Evangelicals. And so I was co-pastoring a church with a black man, Mark Stewart, best friends. And I came out of a strong evangelical Presbyterian background, and he came out of a full gospel, full-blown charismatic background. And he would come into my, we were on staff together. He would come into the, he would come into our, um, my office, and uh, he was over small groups. I was youth pastor at that time. He would come into my office, and he said, man, and he wanted to talk the scriptures. And I said, good, brother. I said, and, and I began to share things with him about cutting, quote, cutting the scripture straight on certain things, you know. And he really began to grasp some things. But I didn't want to talk to him about the word as much. I said, man, talk to me about them tongues and prophecy and healing. Talk to me about some of that charismatic stuff. And, bro, you know what happened? We, we kind of did crisscross. And I took this evangelical thing and began to get this charismatic thing. And he took the charismatic thing and began to get the evangelical thing. And we began, we birthed the church, a word, quote, a word empowered church in the context of that. And it was beautiful. And I carried a lot of those things over to Romania. But in the context of this, you know, there was uh, involvement of a lot of activity, pursuits of calling people to ministry, models, and movements. There it is again, ministry, models, movements, uh, whereby we're declaring, demonstrating the kingdom of God, just like Jesus, right? And I eventually get frustrated with myself and others because of lack of depth in God and absence of some sense of revival and awakening. Because really, ministry models and movements release revival and awakening, right? If we do the, the, the right, uh, we get the right thing, we're going to produce this thing over here. And I did all that. And I was like, it didn't happen, and I'm like, what's wrong, Lord? What's going on here? What's wrong with me? 
what's wrong with these people? What's wrong with the church? And maybe it's related to understanding the biblical gospel. I help EC. So in uh, 2005, began to find depth in God and personal revival through prayer and fasting, those spiritual disciplines. But you know what? You know what really happened for me in this context for about eight years of raising up a house of prayer in Alamance County from where I'm from in, in Burlington? Uh, I preached spiritual disciplines. I preached the prayer movement, you know. And I, I don't want anybody here. At, at, I mentioned this to Tim, but in terms of the house of prayer here, here in my heart, you know, I, this is not an indictment related to houses of prayer, anything like that. I'm sharing my journey of my own stuff, okay? That's all I'm saying. But I step out to pursue the house of prayer, and I, I found myself calling people to, to prayer and fasting and, and, and calling people to the prayer movement from here all the way to Romania, many, many, many situations. How how's the prayer started just exploding in the country of Romania. David Rickman was very involved uh, at those times. We were running together in many, many places. Saw a lot of things that God did. It was just really a, a tremendous season. But after eight years for me personally, uh, you know, it comes tumbling down and um, I found myself, you know, pursuing a prayer movement spiritual disciplines instead of establishing God's people in the biblical gospel. That was my understanding for me, okay? And so I was on the back end of IHOP AC trying to decide what to do in around 2012, 2013. And with one more shot, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now try to do this praying church thing. Let's take House of Prayer and Burning Heart Fellowship and put them together. And let's see what we can do. And it began to just birth one more church. And before I, before I shut down IHOPAC, I seek this next, like, real serious move of God in our region. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to plant another church. So I called 20, of, 20 couples, 20 of my, quote, almost really my best friends, began to call them together. Let's plant a church together. And we began to talk through things and work through it. I called them to the house of prayer and, you know, understanding of the vision and values of the house of prayer and disciplines and, and all of these things, eschatology, began to uh, put some pieces together. And through the process of all of that, really, long story short, within about six months, I had this deep, deep gnaw begin to just sit in me. Y'all, y'all know what gnaw means? That's the southern slang, I reckon. It's just, uh, and I was like, I would, go to, I would go to the church that I'm pastoring and leading, and I didn't want to be there. And I felt the same thing inside the people. <laughs> and I was like, something is desperately wrong, Lord. And some of my best friends that I had called, they simply literally walked. Some walked away without even saying anything to me. And I was able to get, get with all of them and share my heart, and we talked. And, but there were, there were just several different reasons why that thing didn't click. I think more than me or them or any other issue, I think it was a divine orchestration. And sometimes it's a divine orchestration of God shutting it down because he's really wanting to get us, Cameron, into our lane. God will shut down our pursuits. God will expose the ladder and the wall for 25 years. Shut things down because he's really trying to get us into our lane. It's really important. So... I want to bring you to this last page, just kind of where I am. Um, 
wow, I thought I'd be, time will be done. I kind of covered that. That's, thank you, Lord. All right, so we're, we're, on, we're on page 20 now. Because I really, I want to get a little bit of the journey, but I don't want to spend too much time there because I want to talk about the biblical gospel. So uh, let's get to this, page 20. When I look back over the years of ministry, I see that God gave, uh, that I gave myself to God, His Word, to His people with great zeal and sincerity. So I know that all those years were not in vain. I was doing with what God had put before me at that time. But when we come into new understanding, new insight, new revelation, understanding things, what do you do? How do you respond? This is true for each of us. When we see or hear something new, we don't just immediately, uh, we don't just immediately exit out. We, we, God help us carry humility and hunger to receive. If there's something here that you're serving me, God. If there's something here you're bringing me into, God, I want to see it. And so I was, um, with great zeal and sincerity, I've been serving the Lord. So I don't regret, you know, those 25 years of climbing a theological ministry ladder against the wrong wall. Because it was part of my journey. In other words, I remember God specifically telling me years ago, Son, never despise your journey. Do not despise your journey. Because what can happen is we can just say, oh, that was, you know. But people's lives were touched and changed in those days. But now when God brings new light, I have to walk in new light. And that will cost you something. That's that's really what I'm trying to say, okay. I assume by observing Christianity in the West and spiritual disciplines and spiritual gifts, through those we build ministry models and movements that bring revival and awakening. Many, many, many ways for many years I desired to be a change agent. You know, it's almost when I, when I wrote this word, it, it just reminds me of having almost that Messiah complex. I'm the man. And we're going to bring change to this place. Because I'm the man. You know, and it's this idea that it's about us. It's about what I'm doing. And we have to be very, very cautious there. For sure, God wants that to actually die. <laughs> he wants to bring that to the cross, right? So, I, I, you know, this, this hope, uh, uh, I want to be a change agent, and I fix my hope on a brand of kingdom now, Western Christianity, to bring forth revival and awakening people and in the culture of this age. It becomes obvious that I've lacked personal clarity and confidence and courage in the biblical gospel. I've said that about five times. Along the way on the journey, here's the word for me, August 5th, 2005. I'm not going to tell the story, but I'll just say that the clearest, most defined word, you know, you, you, get, in, you get into prayer rooms and you get around prayer movement, you know, you, you receive a lot of words, right? You heard it said, man, if I, if, I had a, if I had a dollar for every word I've ever received, man, I'd be a, probably a, at least a thousandaire. <laughs> uh, but... You know, you, you think about the word of the Lord coming, and you appreciate. You appreciate the prophetic word. And we need to, we need to receive when God's speaking to us through others, and it's good. And we need to steward those words. But this word was one of those that comes like a plumb line. And uh, the Lord says, tell David to build me an ark, preserve my people. What do you do with that? I'll tell you what you do with that. 
you fight and wrestle and snot and cry and fast and pray for 11 years and try to get understanding what that means. But I will say this. We don't let a prophetic word trump the word of the Lord. And now I bring that word in submission to the biblical gospel and understand that this is indeed a word in due season. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. The sons of Issachar understood the times and they had knowledge of what Israel should do. I'm not so sure I understand all what that verse means. I've tried to study it out. I don't know. I just know this. They had discernment and direction for the people of God. And what I do understand as well is this. Build me an ark, preserve my people, I believe, is giving some window of understanding that crisis is coming. Crisis is coming. And we need to get people ready. So how do you preserve God's people? You call them to the cross. You call them to the biblical gospel. This is the the key idea as I understand it. Okay, so um, let's look at this verse here. Hebrews 11, 7. By faith Noah. You you know, when you get a word like that, you're going to go study everything the word says about Noah. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm wearing out Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, Hebrews 11, 2 Peter 2. You wear out 1 Peter 3. You wear out every word about Noah and say, God, you said build me an ark, preserve my people. You know what happened to right after this, Evan Almighty came out. Lord, have mercy. God, I know you prophesied. I know you confirming what you said to me through Hollywood. <laughs> Praise God. And then they bring out Russell Crowe, Noah, right? And we don't want to talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> so, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The wisdom here is that we be a people who order our lives based on what's coming. I order my present based on the future of what I know is coming according to the biblical gospel. I get people ready for crisis, which is getting them ready for the day of the Lord to enter a kingdom that will have no end. And I also believe this is not only wisdom, it's mercy to call others to it. See, I want to to have wisdom to walk in this myself, to order my life presently based on what's coming in the future, but also call others to it is the mercy of God. That we would teach them how to cling to a cross, set their hope in the day of the Lord, but knowing we must warn people out of mercy that real crisis is coming to the earth. So my wife and I, we have begun about two months ago running trails together. Uh, Our county has about uh, four different trails, four or five miles each. And they're up and down hills, you know, and there are roots and rocks everywhere. 
So when you go run trails, I'm going to tell you something. About seven times in the first couple weeks, I would hit a stump or rock and, and almost fall down. My wife did face plant once. Uh, but I'm, bam, I'm like, whoa. And so you hit those things enough, you start running with great awareness of what's right in front of you. So I'm running, I'm running, I'm looking at every rock and root. I said, I'm not falling again. Because it would hurt my Achilles when I would fall because I'd come down on it too hard. I'm getting old, Tim. And so I was like, whoa. So I'm looking, I'm looking. Well, we've been running for a whole month. We get on the back side down near the river. We call it the Shire. Reminds me just like, just like Lord of the Rings. And we're going and we're running. And I'm coming up through there, boy, just to get it, looking right in front of me. And all of a sudden, right beside my right foot is a three-foot copperhead. If you don't know anything about copperheads, they're dangerous. They bite you, they put poison in you. You know what I mean? And I'm 15 miles from the, from the entrance, and I know if I get bit, how am I going to get back? I might die. I might lose my leg. What am I going to do? So I go. I said, Tina, Tina. She's about 15 feet behind me, and I'm looking back, and I'm, whoo. My heart's, you know. Oh, Lord. And I'm sitting here staring at this, and a, Blake, a black snake comes, comes running across the pass. I'm like, oh, man, we're, we're in devil's playground here. What's going on? And I look, and that thing's sitting there just staring. I stepped right beside this copper. It didn't bite me. So, Tina, I said, throw me a stick, baby. So she throws me a stick. She takes a picture of it. I'll show you the picture later if you want to see it. She, she throws me a stick, and I pick him up, and I throw him into the woods. What is funny is he hit a tree about this big around, and he swirled around the tree all the way to the bottom. My wife came firing past me, said, see ya, and she takes off. I tell you that story. I want you to think about this. So now I'm running. I'm not looking right in front of me no more. You know, that's elementary. I'm looking in, yeah, I'm looking in the present. But I'm, I'm, my gaze is now out there. See, I, I, I have a little more wisdom of what's going on on the path. And Jesus, one of his primary admonitions was what? Watch and pray. That you keep eye of what's coming. You watch and pray. This is part of the biblical gospel. We watch and pray. We keep our eyes, yeah, right here. you know. But we order our lives in the present based on what's coming in the future. Watch and pray. Okay. Let's get to this biblical worldview timeline. This will be just for your study. Okay. I got about three minutes. Tim took a couple of minutes, so I, maybe I can get just... Two, two or three, five more. Praise the God. Seven? My man. Okay, let me just. <laughs> when the ball says you got seven, amen. No, Biblical worldview timeline. Just, just stare at this for a moment. Uh, you know, anything that I have here uh, is not my own. <laughs> Y'all remember, I, I didn't know how to read until I got to Bible college, right? So I stole everything. So if you don't remember nothing today, remember the ladder and the pictures. Okay, amen. I had to put some pictures in here because I'll be reading all them books. I'm looking for the pictures. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm looking for the pictures, man. I'm a simple man. You got to know it. <laughs> Biblical worldview timeline. So we see that there is a timeline. I really wish on the left side I put a dot because there was a beginning. We call it creation. And I wish that... I'm just not that proficient with computers, so I couldn't get. But I wish I put an error on the right side of the line that it goes on and on 
and on, ages upon ages, as Caleb said yesterday. And so we have um, an understanding of what this age is all about. It's about redemption in Christ Jesus. That this is 6,000 years of sin, death, and the curse, time of suffering. It's it's marked by a cross, this age. And what we find is uh, is 6,000 years of man. And man is having his day. And when we continue to see men having their day in our age, it ought to not greatly concern us. Because the pride and arrogance of man will continue to rule for 6,000 years in this age. But the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. You see, when Isaiah 2, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Reread Psalm 46 to 48. And look, just stare at the city of the great king. And He will be king over all the earth. And it'll be because it's His day. And the pride, the arrogance of man will be crushed. Thank you, Lord. You know this age is all about sin, death, and the curse. It's about God even using the curse to bring us low. Continually. I'm going to tell you something. When you face one of your best friends in life that understood these things, commit suicide in January, you're confronted with the real deal. Death is real. Six weeks weeks later, my daddy dies. A best friend of my daddy. I'm like, I need a gospel that's going to Give me strength and stability to walk through that and stand firm. God help us. So sin, death, and the curse is being used to bring low the pride and arrogance of man day by day. Because I'll tell you, you can get around people and they have all the arrogance they want, but it's appointed to man wants to die. Then face judgment. So we see redemption in this age restoration in the age to come a crown you see you see the you see the little jewish star inside the crown i don't know i can't hardly see it but it's there man so what divides this age of suffering from the age to come an age of glory it's the day of the lord it's resurrection time and so we have this redemption is this, this age we have resurrection at the day of the lord and restoration in the age to come. This is just a biblical worldview timeline, uh, like like big picture. You know, get in the blimp. This is the blimp right here. Okay, get in the blimp. This is what you see. All right, last page, 21. So, I teach school. I teach uh, about four classes, three days a week. I teach... A Bible in a in a Christian school, and you know what I do? I'll do this for fall and spring semester. That's all I do. Just just root them in the biblical gospel. I'm gonna tell you something. When them little eyeballs start coming alive, it's amazing. They can grasp the day of the Lord. You know what I call it? A storm. And little Emerald, he said, Mister David, storm's coming. And my mama. See, 
See, you put the day of the Lord, a storm's come. You put the biblical gospel before people, and they start seeing their life in light of the truth. And little second-grade children can grasp the truth of God. And when that thing goes in, as Bickle says, when that thing goes in on the hard drive, it's like wet cement. It's in there. Wet cement. It's in there, and it's going to stay. I tell you, one of the most profound ministries maybe we'll ever do is ministry to children because they're grasping things that will carry them a lifetime, I believe. So, guys, this biblical gospel is uh, uh, its really the biblical hermeneutic by which we observe, interpret, and apply the Scriptures. Here's what I'm saying. You, you can be digging in the book of Ephesians, get all the historical background, get all your... Eyes dotted, your T's crossed, and wow. And if it is not consistent with God's story, I could have a Greek worldview looking into the epistle of Ephesians and actually completely miss the, the truth that's sitting in that book. You see, so this helps bring the biblical hermeneutic through which we interpret the Scriptures. Don't think I'm all that smart. I just listen to guys like Tim and John Harrigan and get some of that, you know. But it's true. You know, it's true. And so um, when we get clarity in this. So here, just real quick, uh, this is part of the two minutes. By the way, this, this is a 14-week class on Monday nights with a group of men for me. And then I get with those guys during the week to follow up. But uh, I also teach this, you know, in a, two semesters because you can take it really slow with children. But uh, just here's the big three ideas, okay? Cosmology, which is basically the origin, nature, and structure of the heavens and the earth. Okay, so the beginning. uh, So we have creation in the beginning. We have God coming to restore that creation, the heavens and the earth, back to their originality. He's going to do that at the day of the Lord, okay? Which we call eschatology, the end. So we have cosmology, eschatology. What's God doing in the middle? The Oreo, the double stuff, right? What's God doing in the middle? Soteriology. It's salvation. It's God. Uh, you know what you find in Genesis 3 through 11? Man has no remedy for sin. Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, flood, Tower of Babel. It's like. Same story, same story. Man has no remedy for sin. And what does God do? Come here, Abraham. You see? And he begins a process through which he's going to bring forth a nation, through which he's going to bring forth a seed, through which he's going to restore all things in the the future. And so you begin to watch the journey. So there's creation and there's a crown when he comes to rule the nations from Jerusalem. And what's in the middle? Well, there's a curse on the earth. (laughs) There's sin, death, and a curse in the earth, right? God's using all that to humble us. Bring us low. How about the covenants? How about the Torah? God's using all that to bring us low. You notice that? Just to bring us low. To show us our need for Him. He gave us the law as a schoolmaster, Jeremy, to, right? He gave us the law as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So you have this 
God's using the curse, the covenants. He's using the cross, what? To bring us low. How about this, in the time of the church? Of course, we know church goes all the way back. The ecclesia, even the Old Testament. That's why you see here I put Jewish and Gentile church because I didn't want you to think this was a dispensational graph. <laughs> okay, uh, anyway, the whole idea here is this. God's using the curse, covenants. He's using the cross, the church, and the, the end of the age crisis. He's using all of 6,000 years of history to bring man low in their pride and arrogance that we would turn to a Savior, we would turn to a Deliverer, and we would set our hope in that day when He comes to bring restoration. We need 14 weeks to really go through this. But what I wanted to do just to give you the basics. So you know what I encourage you now? Go to the grain bin and go begin to draw these things because that's really it's really clear there's a lot of quote the, the wide story that God is telling is there but there's incredible depth in each one of those seven seas and we want to go dig the depth in them some days I'll just be over in the curse I just spent I've been I spent the last six weeks Genesis 1 through 6 with our students just going through it and there's so much there so we want depth in each of the seven seas but, but keep that biblical timeline before you, and that's the biblical hermeneutic through which we interpret rightly the Word of God. God, we just thank you for the biblical gospel. I know, Lord, perhaps we could have spent more time really digging this out, but, Lord, it's not about what I say. It's about humility and hunger where we would come before you, God, and we would dig we would ask, and we would dig, and we would ask. And a spirit of revelation would open up to us the biblical gospel. Father, I ask over those that are here, even by web stream. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would grow us in clarity, confidence, and courage in the biblical gospel. In the name of Jesus. Amen.